Well, hey, good morning, Exponential. Welcome again as we continue through this parable series. I am wrapping up my vacation uh, here today and uh, just wanted today to invite Dustin White to our stage. Dustin's become a good friend. He was a pastor of one of our Church of God churches for many years. Uh, he is now at a Christian school and he's teaching there. Uh, but since you know he isn't preaching on Sundays on a normal basis anymore, I figured what a great opportunity for him to be able to come and share God's Word with us. So why don't you give a big exponential welcome to Dustin White as he comes out to share God's Word with us here this morning. Hello, Exponential. I'm so happy to be with you, and uh, I'd like to welcome you all. And, and to those that are out there online watching at home, um, feel free during the, during, throughout the message today to uh, leave a chat in the chat box. Uh, some comments. So uh, it's thrilled to be here. Um, as, as Pastor Gilbert said, uh, I've been in pastoral ministry for the past uh, several years, actually past five years in pastoral ministry, and I've just recently made the change to uh, teaching in uh, Harrisburg Christian School. So I'm glad to be at HCS. Uh, I had previous experience in the public school, so now I'm kind of combining that background I had with education, but being able to get to teach the Bible every day, and it's just been awesome to be able to do that. I just love teaching God's Word, and I'm so thrilled to be able to share God's Word with you here this morning. And uh, as Gilbert said, we've known each other for a number of years. We've attended some conferences together. We've been down in Florida at the Exponential Conference, so I'm so glad to, to be here with you all, and uh, it's so great to see all your faces. And uh, so as you've been going through the, the uh, series here on the uh, parables, and I'm going to be sharing another parable with you this morning. And uh, the parable that I'm going to be sharing with you this morning is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And uh, a parable is something I'm sure Pastor Gilbert has shared with you. That's uh, it's a story that's told to to make a point, to make a truth, to to, uh, so, to to allow us to learn something from it. And Jesus, many times in his ministry, would speak in parables. And there's actually a couple of different types of parables. There's the parable uh, that is. Uh, used to uh, uh, illustrate something. It's more of spoken in a simile type way. And then there's the true parable, which is a story just basically spoken to make a point. And today's parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan, is that type of parable where Jesus is telling a story to make a point. And uh, we have to be careful when we look at parables that we don't allegorize them. Uh, Augustine of Hippo had done things like that. Uh, but basically, just look straight forward at the, at the parable and see what is, the, what is the truth, and looking at the historical context and, and all those things behind it that can, can allow us to understand the truth behind it. And so the Good Samaritan is, is, is a, probably a term that you are all familiar with, and uh, whether or not you're familiar with this particular parable or not, you probably heard the term Good Samaritan. I actually Googled the term Good Samaritan just to see what would come up, and actually the first thing right now, when I Googled Good Samaritan that came up, it said, COVID-19, if you think you have been exposed to COVID-19 and develop a fever and symptoms such as a cough or difficulty breathing, call your healthcare provider for medical advice. So that was actually what came up. And so, yeah, a lot of times when we think of Good Samaritan, we do think of healthcare. Um, hospitals oftentimes have the name Good Samaritan in them. I was actually born in a hospital in Pottsville, Pennsylvania that had the game the Good Samaritan Hospital. So we oftentimes think of that. Or just simply a person who is caring and loving. But do we really think about what it means to be a Good Samaritan? Because the name Samaritan in our co cultural context today has, has a, a, a much different meaning than the, the meaning of the name Samaritan 
back in the day of Jesus when he is telling this parable. In fact, it's quite culturally shocking that Jesus used the term Samaritan. He used the character of the, of the Samaritan as, as being the one who helped this person along the road. And so out of this parable, we see the definition of a neighbor, neighbor defined. So that's the other question I want to look at today. What is a neighbor or who is my neighbor? You know, when I was a kid, I oftentimes watched Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I was kind of more of a a Sesame Street type kid, but I also watched Mr. Rogers. And Mr. Rogers would always talk about his neighbor and and talk to his neighbor. He would basically speak out uh, to the TV audience. Uh, I myself, uh, as a kid, I tended to overthink things a lot, and I used to wonder, who who is this neighbor that you're talking to? I I didn't realize that he was actually talking to me as one of the the members of the audience at home watching through the television. And so I sort of overthought it. I'm saying, who is this imaginary friend you have? Where's this invisible person that you keep talking to? And so the question was, who is my neighbor? Uh, Who is your neighbor is what I was thinking. And that's kind of the question I want to look at today. Who is our neighbor? And what is our responsibility to that neighbor? And I think Jesus makes that very clear here in Luke chapter 10. We're going to look at that today. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. And I'm going to read that here this morning if you would like to follow along. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you would live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So we, hear, we see in, ch- in uh, chapter 10, in the first few verses, 25 to 29, uh, we, set, we see this sets up the context for the parable that Jesus is about to tell. We see there's a, a man, a, an expert in the law. As Jesus is traveling, he's on his way to Jerusalem. And this expert of the law, basically someone who is an expert in the Torah, in the first five books that we have in the Old Testament, 
And so basically, he was sort of, he was like basically a lawyer, and so he's trying to do what lawyers do, and he's trying to, uh, to use the law to uh, make a point, and so he's trying to justify himself. He, he tries to rationalize uh, what, what his, maybe his previous actions were, because he asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the expert in the law, knowing it very well, says to love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting here a couple passages. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. He's, he's quoting what's called the Shema, which uh, the Israelites would have, pa- would have uh, said every day. They would have recited the Shema, to, which meant the Shema meant to listen, to hear, or to obey and to love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your heart, with all your might. And Leviticus 19.8 was where the other part comes from. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So those two things basically sum up the law. Basically, love God and love other people. All the law can be summed up in those two things. And Jesus says, you do those things and you will live. But I'm thinking that this man probably realized, you know what, if I've got to do those things to inherit eternal life, maybe I haven't done those perfectly. So he tries to justify himself because there's probably certain people in his life that he maybe hasn't shown kindness to or hasn't shown compassion to. So he tries to justify himself by what he says here, by, by asking this. And so he says, well, who is my neighbor? He's trying to justify. And you know what we can learn from this is, you know, what I can learn from this is I, I do not get to, to rationalize my own definition of a neighbor. In other words, we, we don't, I don't get to choose who my neighbors are. I don't get to decide, well, this, this person is worthy of my love and compassion and care, and this person is not. You know, many times in my mind, I can rationalize why I should help someone or not help someone or show kindness or not show kindness or compassion to them. I, I might say in my mind, well, I, I don't have the time. I, I have, I'm too busy and I need to go about my business. I don't have time to show kindness to that person. Or if I show kindness to that person, I, they, they might take advantage of me. Or that person is too different than me. Uh, that's a little scary. I'm a little scared of that person. Uh, or maybe you might, I might say in my mind that they deserve that, the situation that they're in. They, they should not get my help. And a lot of assumptions can be made. A lot of assumptions we can make in our mind about the other person. And a lot of justification in our mind of, does that person even deserve our help or not? You know, and if I'm not careful, I can, I can really get caught up in that. An assumption can be made. Uh, we're, I was traveling uh, with my wife in, in Indiana a couple years ago, and we traveled. We were going on our way to visit a, a good friend of mine up in Huntington, and we were passing through Indianapolis in that area there. And there was a man outside of a gas station just sitting there, and he just looked run down and poor. And the first thing that comes to my mind is, well, does that person really need help, or is he just staging that so that we'll give him something? But my wife says, I think that we need to give this man help. And maybe it was because he had a little kitty cat or something and she felt bad for the kitty cat, I don't know. 
But, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, she, she felt like we needed to help this man. And it was a good reminder to me that, you know, that, that we have to pay attention to people like that. When so oftentimes we ignore and we rationalize, well, I don't need to help that person. There's a book that w- was uh, written by a man named uh, Mike Yankowski, and I actually had to read this book. It's one of the books I'm using as a part of the curriculum at HCS, and it's called Under the Overpass, where there's this man named Mike Yankowski, and he decided that he was going to spend about six months out just living on the streets, and he, he would switch through to different cities. I think he spent time in San Diego, uh, San Francisco, Washington, D.C., Denver, uh, some other places. He would just, every so often, he'd switch and move to another city, and he'd just live on the streets. He had no money. He would just have to live off of whatever people gave him. And through that experience, he learned that how often a person like that can be ignored. And, and some of the things that he would hear people say, uh, maybe that he deserved that, or, or maybe that person smells too bad, or stay away from that person because uh, they're scary. He, he's got to hear firsthand some of the attitudes of people that, that people have towards uh, individuals like that. And it was a real eye-opener to understand sometimes how people we, we think Uh, And we rationalize, we justify maybe why we shouldn't be a a neighbor to a particular person. And you know, it's really, it's easy, it's easy for me to love people that are lovable. That comes very easy. But Jesus says, I'm required to love even those who are unlovable. Matthew 5, 43 to 47, Jesus says this, he says, you have heard that it is said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? So everybody can easily love their family members, their brothers, their sisters. Anybody anybody can love somebody that, that loves us back. That comes very easy. But Jesus requires me to not just love those people that are easy to love, that are lovable, that show me love back. But Jesus requires me to love others unconditionally. So I don't get to justify or rationalize in my mind who my neighbor is. And so Jesus defines in this parable who my neighbor is. So we read on in in chapter 10, verse 30 to 37, Jesus tells this parable. He tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's his response to the individual, the, the expert in the law who tried to rationalize his, his behavior by saying, well, who is my neighbor? Because he probably had certain people in mind when he said this. So Jesus makes this theological truth, this theological point in this parable by, by talking about this man who was going down from Jerusalem, going down to Jericho, where he was stripped, beaten, robbed, and left for dead. A very common occurrence that could have happened in in those days when you were traveling along the roads. There was oftentimes bandits that 
you know, would hide out in the desert and just wait for the wandering traveler to come along and just to beat them and rob them and leave them for dead. And so this man is, is left for dead. He's lost everything. And all of a sudden, a priest comes by along the same road. And he just passes by. And then again, a Levite down the same road, road and he passes by. So those are two things that if you're telling this story to an Israelite, if you're telling this story to an expert in the law like this individual, you'd expect that, well, well, probably one of those people would be the ones that would be the helper. No, Jesus chooses a character, an individual in this story that is actually would be, have been very culturally shocking to the listeners, to those that were hearing this parable. He uses an example of a Samaritan passing down along the road. And it's the Samaritan who helps the man. The Samaritan who comes along, he sees him, he takes pity on him, he bandages his wounds, he, he, he pours oil on them uh, and wine, and then he takes his own donkey and he takes him to an inn to take care of and he gives uh, coins to the innkeeper to said, any expenses past that, I'll come back to pay you back for him. A Samaritan. This, this, this would have been culturally shocking. They did not, Samaritans and Jews did not like each other. They did not get along. There was an ethnic difference and there was a religious difference between the two. This, this history goes back for a while, back to the time of the exile when Israel would, had been exiled and they intermarried with some of those other people groups, the Assyrians and so forth. And so they were, uh, the Jews looked at them as like a mixed race. And not only that, but they had differences in religion. The Samaritans only believed in the Torah as the inspired word, as scriptures that came from God, whereas the, whereas the Jews believed that all of the Hebrew Bible was a part of the scriptures. And on top of that, they didn't agree on where the place of worship should be. The Jewish people believed that the, place, the only place that you could worship God was on, on uh, the mount in Jerusalem, whereas the, the Samaritans only believed that Mount Gerizim was the only place. And so there was all this this conflict between them. They didn't get along. They, were, they looked at each other like they were strange. They were different ethno-religious groups. And it was so bad that if a Jew was traveling from Jerusalem and heading up north to go to Galilee, a Jew would actually go out around Samaria to get to Galilee because they wanted to avoid that. Even though it was the long way around, they would actually want to avoid them. That's how much they did not like the Samaritans. And so now here Jesus is using the Samaritan as the hero in this story. And by doing that, because Jesus, Jesus asked him here, he said, which one of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And, and get this, this is how he responds. The expert in the law, he says, the one who had mercy on him. He can't even get himself to say the name Samaritan. He just says, the one who had mercy on him. If you take yourself back just to, uh, to the previous chapter, in chapter uh, 9, verses 51 to 57, we see a, a more of an attitude towards the Samaritans, where they had, Jesus and his disciples were traveling through Samaria, and they were not welcomed, and James and John said to Jesus, should we call fire down upon them? And they're thinking back to the, like, the days of Elijah when he, when he call, called fire down from heaven, and like, should we call fire down on them? Because that's their point of view of the Samaritans, and yet now here Jesus is using the Samaritan to be the one that shows compassion, the one that shows love, and that cares for the man that's beaten and robbed and left for dead along the road. And so what Jesus is saying 
as he's saying, Jesus, he, Jesus, he, he defines, Jesus defines my neighbor as any person regardless of their history, regardless of their background, or regardless of their place in life. That's Jesus' definition of a neighbor. It's not who I think I should care for, who's, who is, seems deserving of my love and compassion. No, it's, it's any person regardless of where they've been, what they've done, who they are, what their current status is. Basically, I am supposed to show, Jesus says, to, I am supposed to show compassion and love and care to all people. And I can't hold a grudge because, someone, because of what someone has done to me in my, in my past. I can't hold their past against them. I can't choose to ignore someone because they are different than me. I can't withhold love and compassion just because of where a person is there in their life and, that the role, and whatever the role is that they play. I think this has great application for us today. You know, regardless, you know, we look at, at America today and, and the division and just, just scroll through Facebook and, and just look at, you can just see the division, you can see the hate and a lot of the hateful things that are said towards one another. And you know, regardless of my personal feelings on a particular issue, it should never give me the right to treat anyone else less than someone who is a human being that is created in the image of God. Regardless of my feelings or regardless of their feelings, we might have, to- we might have totally different worldviews, but it does not give me the right to treat them like anything less than an image bearer of God. And it's that time, again, it's every four years and, and it, at this time of year, every fourth year, we, we come into the time of the presidential race. And, and there's so many, so much division at time like this. So many hateful things are said just because, but just because I may uh, have a different political view or just because I might support a different political candidate does not give me the right to slanderize someone else or to say, demeaning things or to dehumanize another person because regardless of what their view is, they're still an image bearer of God. You know, a big one right now is, is the mask issue. I know there's a lot of different opinions out there about the mask. Or, are the masks really necessary uh, or, or masks are definitely necessary? And I've heard both sides and, and all kinds of conflicting views about that. And, and I've also heard many hurtful, demeaning things said about the other side on the issue. Look at that person. Why do they think they need to wear a mask? Or look at that person. They're not wearing a mask. They don't care about anybody. They're a horrible human being. And regardless of anyone's point of view on any particular issue, again, it does not give me the right to treat that person like anything less than the image of bearer of God or whether they're from a different place in life I know we have, or whether they're a different uh, uh, ethnic group, I know there's a lot of racial tension right now as well, and there's a lot of different points of view on, on everything that's going on there. But again, these are all people, regardless of, of their opinion, regardless of whether their, their actions are justified or not, regardless of that, it does not get, justify me in being a slanderer or being someone that, that demeans them or comes down on them or says or does anything hurtful or hateful to that person. 
I have to remember that each person is an image bearer of God, created in his image. And so when any of us say or does anything like that to another human being, we're doing that against an image bearer of God. And if I keep that in my head, if I keep that in my mind, I realize the, the gravity of that when I speak those things or do those things to other human beings. It, it just makes it seem all the more important that we don't do that. Because Jesus is our true definition of neighbor. Jesus is the true definition of my neighbor through the giving of his own life, regardless of my history, regardless of my background, regardless of my place in life. That's the kindness and the compassion that Jesus has shown me. To kind of simplify this statement and boil it down a little bit more, is that Jesus definitively, Jesus definitively fulfills the role of neighbor to all of us through his death and sacrifice. Jesus said, love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do that, and you will have eternal life. But I know I can't do that perfectly. I know that, that I am a, a lawbreaker. And as a lawbreaker, I stand condemned. I stand separated from God. And yet, Jesus... God's own son has come down into human history. Despite my history, my background, my place in life, and he has come into human history, he has perfectly fulfilled that law. He has perfectly fulfilled the law by perfectly being a neighbor to everyone. By perfectly being a neighbor to all of us. Jesus is the fulfillment of that law. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, it wasn't, it wasn't because of anything that, that I did or anything that I deserved that Christ would offer his life as a sacrifice for my sins. Yet he has done it anyway. He he humbled himself as Philippians 2, 5 to 8 says, your attitude. So this is, this is what Paul is saying to the Philippians and what our attitude should look like. Our attitude should look like Christ's attitude. And this is what, what, his, what Christ's attitude was. He says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient. Obedient even unto death on the cross. That's the attitude that I should have towards my neighbor. But I, I don't get to define who my neighbor is. Jesus defines who my neighbor is. And it's not who I feel like loving. It's not who I want to love. I don't get a choice. Jesus says our neighbor is every human being, every image bearer of God. And, and praise God and thank God that, that he, he didn't 
do, he didn't come and die for us based on what we deserve because we don't deserve, we deserve God's wrath. That's what we deserve. But yet Jesus came and he fulfilled, ultimately fulfilled the role of being a good neighbor by showing love and compassion despite my background, my place in life, or what it is that I've done. Jesus still has chosen to show me compassion and love and all doing that by, doing that all by his death on the cross. Would you pray with me? Father God, I just thank you that your son Jesus was willing to come and love us, to, be, to fulfill perfectly the role of being a neighbor to all of us, willingly giving his life on the cross despite my background, despite my history, despite my place in life, despite who I am. So, Father, that we may be made righteous and we may be made holy and that broken relationship that we have with you may be made right. So in light of what Christ has done for us, Father, may we then go and be neighbors to every other human being, every other image bearer of God, regardless of their history, background, or place in life. Let us not just love when it's convenient, love when it's easy, love when somebody's lovable, but love unconditionally, without reservation, in a Christ-like way. And I do praise you and thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. Praise you in his name.